When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. You're welcome. Um, fortunately, you answered most of my questions about all the green <laughs> weeds that are growing in the front yard. But I do have a, I, uh, the last question of that topic for me was going to be, is it too early to dethatch right now and put down the growing green and possibly some molasses? This is a Bermuda lawn, and mm-hmm. of course, it's still brown. Well, dethatching is the biggest waste of time in the world. Um, dethatching is something that people that use the synthetic fertilizers, when you use those high nitrogen synthetic products, they're killing off the microbes that decompose and break down the thatch. If you're on an organic program with a good organic fertilizer, don't worry about thatch. It is decomposing. It is putting nutrients back into the ground. It is causing no problem whatsoever. So if you mean by that a low mowing um on bermuda especially i think you could go ahead and do that did you say your yard's bermuda or st augustine bermuda okay Uh, i think you're fine to go ahead and do that because bermuda is so cold hardy but do not go out and rent one of these so-called de-thatchers that kind of rips things up those do a whole lot more damage than good and they are totally unnecessary if you feel like you have a you know, a buildup that could be a problem, uh, just spray it down with some molasses, speed up the decomposition. But, uh, okay. no, I think you're okay to go ahead and mow it down. We still may get some more cold. We could easily still have another frost or two, but your Bermuda's not going to suffer that much if we do. It's such a tough grass, and uh, um, I would either mow low and then put the fertilizer down and put the fertilizer down and mow low. Probably would it be even better because when you have those clippings, on top of the fertilizer, you're activating it and getting the microbes working even faster. So I'm going to cut your work in half and that you don't have to do a really thorough dethatching. But uh, whenever you've got the time and energy or if you've got a teenage son that needs some good activity or daughter, oh, I do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get him out there and put him to work. It's certainly time to be okay. doing it. Great. Thank you. My next question, I just have two more questions. Um, Let's go to the backyard. We don't have anything there except what is naturally growing. And of course, those are going to be weeds. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to put down a Bermuda because we have the kids that are going to be putting some high traffic in that yard. But we don't have full sun. We have a smattering, well, uh, smattering, we have a smattering of of open area, but mostly it's it's uh, the 33-foot-tall oaks and everything. Yep. I'm wondering, what grass would you recommend? I've been looking at zoysia because no, uh, we no, need a shade tolerant not. as well. Absolutely no, not. Okay. And zoysia is not shade tolerant. I mean, it may survive, but it's never going to be pretty. But zoysia, one of its claims to fame is it is a slower-growing grass, so it doesn't have to be mowed as often. All well and good, but if it's a slower-growing grass, it does not stand up to foot traffic nearly okay. as well. So I'm afraid St. Augustine's going to be your only choice. 
Um, that's not a bad thing. Just don't plant more than you need to. Some of those shadier areas, you might want to think about putting in a tough ground cover that takes about a fourth as much water. Uh, develop a good, strong play area for kids and dogs and, you know, other active little feet. But uh, okay. if we're out in full sun, yeah, Tiff Bermuda, the golf course grass, that's what I'd be going for. But it's going to disappoint you in the shade and right, uh, yeah. is to, you know, um, in a sunny area, yeah, go out and buy the sod. You can't put it down from seed. But in a shadier area, look at uh, Palmetto, look at Del Mar, look at one of the good shade-tolerant St. Augustines. Uh, the other thing that that will make St. Augustine a good choice is it never has sugars in it. Um, okay. And, you know, those of us that grew up rolling around in the grass learn pretty quickly what chiggers are. And you're you always going to have <laughs> chiggers in Bermuda or Zoysia. You'll never have them in St. Augustine. So here's another good reason to choose a good St. Augustine. Just I, I just don't want to see wall-to-wall grass. Nobody really ought to be trying to make it look like an old-fashioned park. Plant the grass where you need grass for activities and go with a uh, lower water-using plant or even just a mulched area. I mean, mulch is good and soft, and it's a great thing for kids to play on. I mean, if you've got little ones that you can have a swing set or something like that, it's yeah. going to get an unbelievable amount of foot traffic. Mulch is free. You can go out to the brush dump or wherever, or you can buy a better quality mulch without spending much money at all, and it's going to be a lot less frustration. It's going to be totally safe for your kids and uh, not going to look bad either. Okay, thanks. And then my last question is, we've planted a number of Texas sumac trees in the yard, in the front yard. This is where that full sun area is. Okay. Um, One has survived. We did this about six, seven years ago. Mm -hmm. Almost every other one of them has eventually browned up and and died. We're talking about the flame sumac, the one that gets the uh, good fall color? Um, uh, boy, oh boy, I can't remember. Yeah, that's uh, the only it's sumac. It's huge. It's got the green, and it's it, it will occasionally have the little um the little blooms. Okay, I'm not mm. sure. I don't really know a sumac that is a tree. We have uh two sumacs that do well here. One of them is a big green shrub, small leaf. We call evergreen sumac, and then there is a beautiful tree it makes a small tree not a big tree but it is known for its fall color and um okay. it's it, it might be that one okay. it, it's growing wide rather than tall yeah that it probably is uh how often do you water uh we offer we water about once a week yeah. um we've had a really good uh program set up through saws mm-hmm. i mean everything else in those beds continues to do well yeah except except the sumac and just you're, one of them does what is fine you're you're killing them with water that okay. sumac once it's established wants to be watered once a month nothing kills sumac faster than wet feet and mother nature is doing wonderful things for the oak trees the elm trees the pecan trees and uh the sumacs are suffering from this excess of water and uh, once you get them planted and established, I love sumacs. They are some of our best fall color out there, but they they just don't mix well with other plants that require more water because they want it dry, 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 in which case they just thrive. Uh, you're killing them with kindness. Okay. Thanks so much, Bob. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Jeff. All right. Bye. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. It's going to be Steve and Barbara, Todd and Kay, and Steve's up first. Uh, let's see, I think I might have hit the wrong one there. Let's try this. Good morning, Steve. Bob. Good morning. I bought some uh, liquid molasses. 
Okay. Can I run that through one of those garden sprayers? It's got the dial on the top, one tablespoon, two tablespoons. That's a great question. Uh, Here's how I would handle that. It may be a little thick to go through the sprayer if you, let's say you want to put it out at the rate of uh, one tablespoon per gallon, and you want to set that dial at one tablespoon per gallon, but it clogs a little bit, it doesn't go through. Here's what you do. You dilute that molasses 50-50. Instead of putting straight molasses in the uh, bottle, you put half water, half molasses, and then you set it for two tablespoons per gallon, and then you're getting exactly the amount. You're actually getting one tablespoon per gallon because you diluted it half and half with water. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. If it's still too concentrated to go through your sprayer, make it three parts water to one part molasses. Set the sprayer for four tablespoons per gallon. And what is actually coming out is one tablespoon uh, per gallon of water because you've diluted it down. That way your molasses is always going to be thin enough to go through the sprayer with no problems at all. When I'm, well, my yard is TIF uh, 419. When I'm spraying that, do I just... Do I, like, just give it a quick spray, or am, am I just going uh, <laughs> to... That, de- that depends. It, yeah, that depends on how much time you've got and how much molasses you have got. Your molasses is going to do a bunch of different things for you. When you're actually spraying it on the dead blades of the TIF 419 or the green blades during the growing season, you're increasing the microbial activity on the actual grass blade. In the case of a dead blade of grass, you're going to help it break down and decompose faster. In the case of a live blade of grass, you're going to build up a layer, a defensive layer of microbes on that leaf that's going to you know, turn away fungus problems and insects and things like that. So uh, when you spray it on the grass, a light spraying, you're helping the grass. When you spray it on heavily enough to kind of soak into the soil, then you're stimulating probably, when what they tell us, maybe 15,000 different kinds of beneficial microbes in the soil, maybe even more than that. So put it on as thickly and as heavily as you have time to do. A very light spraying is going to do you some good. A thorough deep spraying is going to do even better. I think probably the compromise to make is, uh, you know, do that light spraying once a week, once every two weeks, and then maybe once every month to six weeks, take the time to put it on more heavily, and you get the best of both worlds that way. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Uh have another question or a couple. Yeah, sure. Uh, on that TIF 419, I set my lawnmower on mulch. Uh-huh. Or, you know, uh, it's a lot easier than bagging it. If yeah. I oh, bag yeah. it, I take it to my mom's place and give it to the cows. They just kind of look <laughs> at it like they don't want it. Well, it's okay. When it's, when it's winter time, they want it. When they've got other green right. grass around, they're not interested. <laughs> exactly. Um do and I'm I'm with you there. I I would never bag it. I'm I'm always going to leave it down. Tell me this: Do you mow your tiff uh, at a high level or do you mow it fairly yes. low? Okay, if I mow it very high, and so the first the first year I lived here, when I mowed it and I I mulched it, it seemed like it was just killing my grass. Uh-huh. It was just dying, and so last year I bagged it and I took it all. Threw it out to the cows. Sometimes they would touch it. Sometimes they wouldn't. Right. And it seemed to do a lot better that way 
but it's a lot more work. I sure yeah. don't like bagging it. But <laughs> well, the molasses is going to help you solve that problem, and okay. um, and also, of course, be sure you're staying organic with your fertilizer to keep those microbes right. going. And this is a part you're not going to want to hear, but mow more often. Um, because when you mow irregularly and you generate a whole bunch of, uh, of grass clippings, it's going to have the tendency to shade out the light and it's going to do more. I don't want to really call it smothering, but that's a little bit of what it does when you mow lightly. I mean, if you look at these at what they're using on golf courses, they're mowing it once a day. They're out there with their mowers at 6 o'clock every morning cutting it. And the other thing I will tell you about having TIFF is if if you can't do it yourself, spend the money every six months to sharpen the blades on your mower because it is so thick uh, that it has to have a very sharp blade. If you were mowing it low, I was going to give you the bad news. you got to trade in your rotary mower for what they call a real, R-W-E-L, real-type mower that's a lot more expensive. Uh, and that's how these guys that want to have a golf green in their front yard, that's how they yeah. go about doing it. In your case, you're just fine using your rotary mower since you're mowing it high, but I want those blades on that mower super, super sharp. And, uh, right. you know, take it over, to, take it over to my friends over at CNL Mower, uh, Willie and Jay over there and, and Willie will sharpen it for you at a, a very reasonable price. But, uh, the price that you're going to pay for having, um, you know, having TIFF Bermuda is that you really need to keep those blades sharp to do a good job with it. When you do that, you're going to get a good clean on it, clean cut on it. You're going to get clippings. So you're going to break down more quickly and um you know hopefully hopefully you can raise up some kids that'll want to do the mowing for dad but if not spend the time if you're oh, mowing I have a house full of girls they don't, they don't <laughs> even want to touch that well yeah i uh it, it's uh <laughs> i know several people in that same situation but but anyway i would try to mow a little bit more often i'd have your mower super sharp and i think you're going to be okay. just fine leaving those clippings down well one more question. I got two Monterey oaks in my front yard. It drives me just absolutely crazy the way I, they planted them, but because uh, they're about fifteen feet apart, mm-hmm. uh, they're growing all crazy. Uh, I wanted to come to your seminar yesterday, but I was on my way to Lano, so okay. I didn't get to do that. Yeah, but they're both about twelve to fifteen feet tall, mm-hmm. and they seem to be doing okay, but it's just they just look they almost look like a like a bush. Well and what do I what do I do with that? I know nature's gonna take over sooner sure. or later, but Well here's here's what you do. First of all, be sure the root flare is exposed. You've heard me talk about that a bunch of times, and yes. that's very important with Monterey Oak. And all those limbs that are down lower that you don't want them down that low, but you don't want to, you know, take away all that foliage because that's what's making the trunk grow more quickly in diameter. This time of year, I go through trees, young trees, when, and I still consider yours young trees, 
and all those uh-huh. lower limbs, I'm going to cut them back to about six inches long. I'm not going to let them okay. turn into a lollipop. I'm not going to let those lower limbs make big growth because ultimately I'm going to cut them off. But I, when I cut them six inches long, they're still going to have leaves up and down. We call it trashy trunk. That is the healthiest young tree you can have is a tree that have leaves has leaves all the way up and down the trunk because every one of those leaves is a little sugar factory that's pumping good stuff back into the trunk to strengthen it and make it grow more quickly. Now, once those trunks get up to where they're five, six inches in diameter, then I'm going to cut those limbs all the way off. But um, I do this. I've got um, oh more cedar elms than I do Monterey oaks and some cypress. But um, I, I go through generally January, February. I've done part of it. I've still got some more to do. But I'll be going through with my hand shears and just clip, 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 clip. Probably takes me three minutes to do a tree. Uh-huh. And I'm just cutting all those limbs back. They're going to leaf out, and it's just going to be a green telephone pole out there supporting the top of the tree. That way you're maximizing the growth of your tree, but you're beginning to develop the overall shape you want that tree to have. Well, what about... Uh one of them's growing pretty straight up. The other one's got at the top of it. It's got a like a dog leg, and it's taken <laughs> off in the wrong direction. It's like, well, what do I do with that? Well, if you want to offer, just leave it. I and that, that one's that one's starting to bud. The other one, it's the this this one that I'm talking about with the dog leg on it. It's it's dropping its leaves right now, and it's starting to bud out. Yeah, yeah. It's up to you if you want to take that sprout it's over time it's going to develop more of an upright tree but it's like you know kind of like a gangly kid and you know a gangly young lady for that matter um as they grow they tend to get better looking and your trees are going to be the same way but if you want to get up there and give a little haircut if it makes it look better uh and if you can safely do it you're not going to hurt the tree by doing that and being a A white oak, you don't have to paint the wound like you would if it were a live oak. But that's strictly up to you. That's strictly cosmetic. All right. I thank you very much. Check that root flare, though. That's really, really important. And that's... I have compost around it, and it's all the way down to the bottom. Yep. It's like I got it, like, kind of dug out right there at the trunk of the tree and then the compost around the outside. Well, that's good, but be sure you're down deep enough to actually see those big roots starting your, to see the trunk of the tree broaden out. Um, there was a okay. pecan tree not too terribly far from our nursery. They had to go down six feet to find the root flare on that tree. The builder had dumped so much soil in around it. So uh, um, there's no way I can tell you dig out one inch, dig out two inches, dig out a foot. You got to go down to where you see that trunk starting to flare and see those big roots. You do that, you'll speed up the growth of the tree. The growth will be healthier, and the tree will assume a better shape on its own, I guess would be the best way to put it. All righty. I thank you very much. Good question, sir. I appreciate the call. Thank you. Now it's down to the bottom of the board, and that's Barbara. Good morning, Barbara. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I got a partial answer uh, by listening to Jeff a few minutes ago, but we're buying a place in Lavernia, and it has uh, beautiful tall trees, uh-huh. but nothing but sand and uh, leaves underneath. Okay. And, and so I did initially have the grass question, but you said only St. Augustine in the shade and Bermuda in the sun um, 
Is that correct? That only St. Augustine in the shade is correct. In the sun, there are actually varieties of St. Augustine that will do well, such as Floritam, um, or Bermuda, or Zoysia. Those will also do well in the sun. There are also some native grasses that don't have quite the manicurable look. But, uh, yes, you are overall right there. Okay, you say there are some native grasses. Well, those those will not do in the shade they'll have to be in the sun they'll have to be in the sun and they're never going to give you a real neat manicured look everybody always says okay well uh there is a great grass blend you can buy it from douglas king seed you get a number of different places uh but it is called habiturf h-e-b-i-t-u-r-f was developed up to the wildflower research center in austin that's actually a blend of three good native grasses um, that you can certainly grow, but now it's not going to be super green. It's always going to look kind of like it needs a haircut. It's just not going to make that manicured look. I'm glad you don't demand that. I don't think, I think for no. most areas, it's okay to be a little shaggy. Um, but, uh, yeah, there are some good, there are some good native grasses and my choice uh, of what is is one of the best is that Habiturf blend, and uh, okay. several of your native seed companies will have that. I buy it from Douglas King. Yeah, because we're going to have, well, almost three acres, I think, and yeah. we're not going to have grass on all of it, but the other bad news was that the, the folks that have the place that we're buying yeah. had goats. And I mean, there is not, there is probably not one single thing. Oh, goats are very hard on the land. They're humorous to watch. But no, uh, the Habiturf, they've used it like at the uh, Bush Library up in Dallas. Uh, There are a lot of very well established places where you can see what a good job it's done like say wildflower research center up in austin i think it'd probably be a great uh a great choice for you but uh check it out you know google it look at what it looks like as a turf grass and i think it's it's just the ideal choice and uh i you know the other thing is uh we have lived in rockport and um we are and we're moving up to Lavernia. Uh-huh. Now, in the, in the fall and the winter, we like to put down some winter rye seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, can uh, can we use winter rye in the fall and winter just to get something in that sand? To you absolutely. You absolutely can, but don't overdo it. If you are putting it on bare ground, I'm going to tell you to use a pound of rye per 100 square feet. But where you are overseeding any good grass, we're going to cut that down to one pound from every every 250 square feet. It would be harmful to put it down so dense that it, you know, was like a giant green carpet. Uh, You're just going to use it a little bit more lightly, and it's fine to overseed with. Okay. Um, if we chose to ground cover some places, uh, I assume you can't walk on ground cover. And what ground cover would you suggest for uh, that kind of sandy, uh, real shady area? Sure. Um you can walk on it, but you can't do it regularly. If you need to walk through it to, you know, check something, you certainly can. If it's an area where you need to have a path, put down some stepping stones and then plant your ground cover around it. And uh, Asiatic yeah. jasmine's probably going to be my number one choice. Oh, okay. I didn't know that would work in the shade. I know it Absolutely. Well in the sun. It'll be even happier in the shade than it is in the sun. 
Okay. And there are some beautiful new varieties. If you say, oh, that stuff's so common and ugly, go look at Snow in Summer. Go look at Kaleidoscope. Go look at there. There are a number of different variegated, some of them with a lot of pink in the leaves. Uh, if you don't want just that standard dark green of Asiatic jasmine, you do have some choices these days. So check it out. Okay. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure, Barbara. I'll, I'll check out that habitat too. Do it. And let me know what you decide. We'll talk again. Thank you. All right. We're going to talk to Todd and Kay and Debbie. One line open. Grab it if you like. Good morning, Todd. Morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Beautiful uh, morning out there. Oh, it's beautiful Sunday morning. Yeah. Um, I need a recommendation. I had to pull out some Esperanza, the old traditional yellow ones, mm-hmm. about 20 years old. Right. And they just had a mat of mess on the bottom. And instead of being a couple <laughs> of three pretty trunks, I'd have a hundred of them. Right. Up, and it right. was just time to get rid of them. I'd like to replace them with not necessarily another Esperanza, but I like, I know there's some shorter varieties, but uh, something that had a, Maybe the same type bell flowers that would attract the hummingbirds and butterflies and that type of stuff. Well, it's hard to beat Esperanza as far as the long blooming season, as far as, uh, and, and you're exactly right, there are a bunch of new dwarfer varieties, mostly came out of a breeder called Mountain States Nursery, and there actually, there is a more compact yellow, there is a compact yellow with a red throat, uh, there is one that is almost red, there is one that is a coral orange, and these things, um, you know, they're going to max out at uh, five, six feet. Um, in some cases, maybe even a little bit slower uh, or a little bit lower. So I, it, it's hard gonna, to beat those as far as um, things that will look good. Now, there are some other plants. There's what they call a bush honeysuckle or a cape honeysuckle is what it's more commonly called. Uh, also a tropical plant, makes a low mounding plant that blooms on and off through the summer and has those flowers that the hummingbirds absolutely love. Um, there are vines like Tangerine Beauty Cross Vine. Uh, they bloom heavily in the spring and then scatter some flowers through the summer. And uh, hummingbirds love that tubular flower. There are some annual vines like Clock Vine and uh, Cypress Vine. There's some good things that the uh, that the hummers will love. Other bushier plants, woody plants, of course, the uh, so-called Pride of Barbados. Uh, it's going to get pretty big, five, six feet. It's going to be perennial, and uh, it doesn't really have a tubular flower, but I see hummingbirds around mine all the time, plus a lot of butterflies. Uh, there are a couple of different kufias. Uh This is a perennial plant. Common name is a cigar plant. The more compact varieties, like David Verity, are going to bloom all summer long. The big old-fashioned cigar plant is mainly fall-blooming, but some of the uh, smaller form, forms will give you flowers, you know, probably eight months out of the year. Um, not a tubular flower, but shrimp plant is a perennial that's going to grow two, two and a half feet tall. Hummingbirds absolutely yeah. love that. I, I can give you a long list of plants, but uh, there, there are going to be very few things that give you as much, as many flowers over as long a period of time. And uh, I sure would check out some of the dwarfer form of Esperanza since you've had and like that. Great. I appreciate it. Thank you. Anything else I can help you with today? 
Uh, no, sir. That's it. I appreciate it. Uh, well. I'll look for some of the dwarf varieties. <laughs> Take a look at it. The, there are not a lot of them in the nurseries now. This is still the, what, 17th of February. It is not spring yet, but there will be plenty of them out there in the near future. And uh, um, anyway, just call anytime I can help. And in the meantime, get out and have a good Sunday. Thank you, Bob. Always you a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. All right. Kay is up next. Good morning, Kay. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Um, I have a couple. I have a couple different questions. Um, in um, in New Braunfels, Texas, I'm seeing a lot of big moundy um, uh, bushes. Like they're they call them uh, Florida or primrose jasmine. Right. Okay. Are those? Is the primrose jasmine the same as the Florida jasmine? There are. They are very similar they are not exactly the same italian jasmine is another very similar one same yellow flowers a little bit smaller leaf but uh they're yeah they're a bunch of different very similar ones uh they are extremely fast growing they're one of those plants that i love to say give it an inch and it'll take a yard your yard what it does and you've described it very well it's a mounding plant with those limbs that arch out Everywhere they touch the ground, they will take root, and then they will leapfrog another two or three feet out into the yard. So they do take some maintenance. You have to get in there. I have them in my yard, and I attack them with the pruning shears and a grubbing hoe because sometimes I don't prune them quite as often as I should. But they are hardy. Uh, They will grow as tall as what you lean them up against. If they were leaning against a six-foot fence, they would be eight feet tall. Left of their own devices are going to be three, maybe four feet tall where they just grow and kind of make a big expanding mound. But they are hardy. They are deer-resistant. They are drought-tolerant. Um, their only negative is that they will take over given the opportunity. Okay, great. All right. And then where would I purchase something like that? Any good nursery should have them. If they don't have them now, they definitely will have them in the next two weeks. Okay. Thank you very much. One more thing. question is, I had picked up a bunch of private or Barbados seeds, and you recommended I call you back in February uh-huh. to ask you how to start those seeds. Well, scarify them lightly. You're not going to be doing a huge number of them. If you had a big number, I would tell you to find somebody with a gym tumbler and put a little you know, sharp sand, a little bit of carborundum in there, and tumble the seeds. What you want to do is take a file. It could be a little triangular file. It could be a fingernail file. And just grab them one at a time and just... Make a nice, rough, hard rub across them. You don't actually have to make a visible line in them, but just scratch them good because that's what's going to help them absorb water. And then give them about a 30-minute soak in water. You can add a little bit of seaweed if you want. You can add a little bit of garret juice. And then... um, plant them in little pots if you want the cheap and easy way to do it get an old egg carton punch a hole in the bottom of each one of those little cells fill them with uh, potting soil and just poke one seed down into each one of those cells keep them bright keep them warm if you have a propagating mat put them on that on top of that because they love that warm bottom soil they'll sprout in about two or three weeks and uh, six weeks from now, you're going to have some beautiful little six-inch tall plants that you can either move into bigger containers or plant them in the yard. Ooh, that sounds wonderful. And where would I find a propagating mat? You probably have to go online. 
Uh, my business partner gave me a big one. It's about four feet long and two feet wide. Uh, most of them are going to be more like 12 by 18 inches. You're going to spend probably 20 to $30. They're kind of like an electric heating pad uh, or a plastic heating pad. They're kind of like up north. I hear they use doormats that have heating cables in them to melt the snow and things. These things just uh-huh. generate a nice, relatively maybe 70 degrees. I mean, if you want to go all out, you can get one that actually has a thermostat and you can set the temperature you want but for what you're doing just any good old inexpensive propagating mat is going to do the job for you probably going to run you 20 to 30 dollars and should last for years okay thank you so much bob i I hope i have good luck with those oh i'm sure you will have good luck with them and uh just if they get too big and bloom too much don't don't call me and complain i'm warning you what you're getting into they're a big plant and they love to flower and you'll never have to plant them again because uh, they will make seed pods those seed pods when they explode they will throw those seeds in my yard they throw the seeds 10 feet up onto my porch and first thing you know you're going to have them coming up all over the place so uh you're going to make a lot of hummingbirds happy in the process, so. I will never complain, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> you have a great day, Kay. Thanks for the call. Thank you. Sure. Uh-huh, bye-bye. Goodbye. Webster, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, let's get back to gardening, and uh, nothing's changed. Debbie's at the top of the list, then it's Javier and Frank and Bill. Good and, whoops, uh, that's the wrong button to push. That's the one to push. Good morning, Debbie. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you all for taking my call. Thanks for calling. I'm uh, on my way to riding the river in Van Buren. Beautiful <laughs> drive on this Sunday morning. You have fun. I have a quick uh, comment and a quick question. So the comment is, I was raised with four brothers, and somehow I was skipped over when I was tall enough to push the lawnmower. Uh-huh. So I think that's a problem. Probably why now I cherish working out in the yard because <laughs> I, you know, was skipped over, and you know I think girls miss it if they don't at least get. I'm with you, uh, lady after my own heart. What's your question? <laughs> we're yeah, we're a little short on time. Okay, great. So I have a couple of weeds growing in my yard, and uh, they're the ones with the single root, and they just suffocate the grass. How do I get rid of those? Mow them down fairly low. Your grass has just not started growing yet. Uh, the okay. weeds love the cooler weather. Your grasses, whether it's Bermuda, St. Augustine, or Zoysia, they're not going to start growing until the weather gets a little bit warmer. And the only thing you really need to do is keep those weeds mowed down. Sound like dandelions, possibly. But yeah. um, uh, the, the grass is going to choke them out. It just is okay, not... Good. You know, it's just a little later starting. The weather we've had and all the rain we've had, I've never seen as many green weeds as we have. But, oh, no, they're beautiful. Yeah. It's a great crop. But it's uh, it's just, uh, I mean, if you if you have Bermuda grass, if you have a grass that is browned out and you wanted to spray, you could use your vinegar and orange oil uh, if you had Bermuda okay. or zoysia, and that would kill the green. But, you know, your lawnmower is all you need. Yeah, you're That's getting... Good good organic material in the soil from their roots and they're not really hurting a thing so don't let okay. anybody complain about the weeds just mow them off and your grass will be back soon okay and there are all hand pull them just like my grandmother used to do for therapy and it's almost as good uh, exercise as pushing that mower around it sure is it sure <laughs> is thank you bob so much for taking my call and for what you do it's my pleasure debbie and i appreciate the right. call